The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. So we're going to talk about the cross. I love that song they did in worship this morning. Love ran red at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's at the cross we find a place of forgiveness, of hope, of help, of encouragement. It's at the cross we have the ability to start over and begin life anew. So when we think about the cross, I first want you to realize the cross really isn't some pretty piece of jewelry you hang around your neck. Now, I'm not in any way trying to denigrate you wearing jewelry. That's fine. Have no issue with it. But I'm saying the cross of Christ is an instrument of torture. It's an instrument of death, an instrument of extreme pain, an instrument of sacrifice. Don't pretty it up. Don't make it something that it's not. You and I need to be reminded on a regular basis that Jesus died for our sins. That he suffered extreme pain, complete humiliation for you and for me. And the amazing thing is, he did it even before we were born. God so loved the world that he gave, is what the scripture says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died, is what the scripture says. So we need to be reminded of this truth again and again and again so that our walk with Christ stays fresh and vibrant. So our view of what he has done never pales, never gets stale, never becomes old, but so that every day we are grateful for the sacrifice one made for all. So that through his blood, each and every one of us can be forgiven. You see, the cross wasn't some quick and easy form of death. It was slow. It was painful. It was torture. Yet Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in Corinthians, or Corinth, he said, I die daily, referring to his natural life and his desires being submitted to the cross of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he said it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about recognizing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and being willing to offer ourselves each and every day. The cross is all about death. It has no other purpose. Do you realize that in the entirety of Roman history, not one person came down from the cross alive? They all came down corpses. They all went to the graveyard, not to the hospital. They didn't end up in ICU. They ended up covered up by dirt and rock. The cross is an instrument of death. Everyone died. Now, I know what I'm talking about this morning isn't popular, but it is biblical. And you and I need to understand that. Sometimes the word of God goes contrary to culture. And when it does, we have to determine, will I be a follower of God's word or will I be a follower of the culture that is around me? The cross is not a popular thing to talk about, but we need to understand it's what God has called us to do daily. Pick up our cross and follow him. So many times in Christianity, it reminds me of the little boy that was sitting on the front porch steps and a man came walking up the wall. There's a dog beside him. The man said, son, does your dog bite? He said, no. The man walked up, stretched out his hand, and the dog bit him. He said, son, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. He said, that's not my dog. <laughs> you see, sometimes we're just not on the right page. We're doing things we shouldn't be doing, asking the wrong questions. As a result, we have a perverted, twisted view of what Christianity really is. Can I tell you, Christianity is coming to the cross every day and dying with Jesus Christ. 
dying to self, and raising in his resurrection power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Cost of Discipleship, said it this way, and he's speaking about our culture. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves and the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Listen, folks, you can say any prayer you want to say, but unless it's coming from the heart and there is sorrow over what you have done in the life you have lived, you're just saying words. You see, coming to Christ requires repentance and recognizing what he has done at the cross of Jesus Christ. He went on to say, ultimately, it's grace without the cross, grace without the Christ, grace without repentance and transformation. Many of us, and I'm one of them, want to close the chapter on the worst times of our life. We want to put it behind us. But listen to me. The cross is designed so that when we close that chapter and put it behind us, it changes the trajectory of our lives. It changes the direction we are going and the way we are living. I'm telling you, you can't encounter the cross of Christ and walk out without being changed. It's absolutely impossible. True forgiveness and grace are supposed to alter the trajectory of our lives, not preserve it. They're supposed to make us better and wiser as well. So with all that said, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes it this way, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you've never underlined anything in your Bible, and if you've been around here very long, you have already done it because I tell you to. You need to underline those two words, living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your, and underline these two words, reasonable service. I'm going to read that one more time, and I want it to get into your spirit. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your, and say it with me, reasonable service. One more time, which is your reasonable service. One more time, which is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. It's not too difficult. It's not something that can never be attained. Paul said it is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when we read these scriptures, we have to understand these two verses are some of the most significant verses ever penned in the history of man. They have power, they have import, and they tell us how to live godly, victorious lives in Christ Jesus. Folks, what they tell us, it's not about confessing your way to victory, it's about surrendering your way to victory. I love the way you're shouting now. I knew this wasn't going to be popular. I knew you weren't going to be giggling the whole service. That's okay. Because if you'll grab this truth, it will change your life. God will revolutionize you. Some of the most significant words ever penned in human history. Capable of leading God's people to positions and places of victory on a daily basis. Unfortunately, those of us who've been in the church for a period of time have heard this so often they almost become passive to you and me. But there's nothing passive about these verses of Scripture. This is written in the imperative. It's a command Paul has given to the church. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for it is your reasonable service. 
When you look at Romans, you'll realize the first 11 chapters, Paul has dealt with heavy-duty, deep theology. Now he transitions to chapter 12, and he's moving from doctrine to duty. He's moving from creed to conduct, from belief to behavior. To put it another way, he's encouraging us to put our theology into liveology. You see, it doesn't really matter what you believe if what you believe doesn't affect the way you live. Come on, someone needs to hear this this morning. It doesn't matter what you believe, how well you can state it, how well you can espouse it, if it doesn't change the way you live. We can sing about the cross all day long, but if it doesn't alter the trajectory of our lives and change the way we live, it's all pointless and in vain. We're just wrapped up in religion. He says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, in light of what God has done, Romans 1 through 11, this is how you and I need to live. He says, we need to understand God wants us to follow the example of His Son, and because we have been given great mercy, our lives should reflect that. Now, I don't know about you, but I always stand in line for mercy, amen? I always stand in line for grace. But mercy and grace have got to have the power to affect and to change our lives. Can't be just easy words we use in church and then forget them Sunday afternoon until the next Sunday morning. It's got to affect our lives. There's a lot of people that want enough grace to get to heaven, but not enough grace to change the way I live. Oh, preacher, you're, you're kind of stepping in dangerous places right now. You're start to, starting to bother me just a little bit. I hope I am bothering you this morning, and I hope the Holy Ghost is bothering you even more. Many of you in here remember the name Chuck Colson. He was an advisor, special counsel to Richard Nixon. He was heavily involved in the Watergate fiasco in the early 1970s. Matter of fact, he was the first person convicted in that scandal. He was sentenced to one to three years in federal, federal prison, spent seven months. After his arrest and indictment, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Prior to that, you know what he said? He said, I'd run over my grandma to win an election. That was his exact statement. But he met Jesus in that process. His life was changed and converted. Everybody said, yeah, it's just jailhouse religion. I got news for you. You may have met God in a hard place, but if you will continue to live for him and walk for him, it doesn't matter what the origin of that meeting was, he still transforms lives. He came out of prison and started a prison ministry, and this was a statement, I'm going to spend the rest of my life ministering to the least, the last, and the lost. That's a pretty good motto. If you haven't determined why you're here, you might think about that. Maybe God is calling you to invest your life in someone else. He experienced true grace, not just grace to make me feel good and get me to heaven, but grace to alter the trajectory of my life. He understood reasonable service. Reasonable service. So the challenge for you and I today is to move from duty or doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from belief to behavior. Had a conversation not long ago. Actually, this is the summation of many conversations over the last several months. One was someone that's very close to me, one of my relatives, who said, I'm fed up with church. I'm not going to church anymore. All they ever do at church is they want your money and then they want you to work. That was his perception. And I'm thinking, bud, have you ever missed it? Because it's not about your money and it's not about your work. It's about your reasonable service. 
Listen, I spent four weeks talking to you about giving and helping you understand it's not about the money that you invest in the kingdom. It's about the heart that is transformed when we align ourselves with the principles of God's word. And when we align ourselves with the principles of God's word, money is the least of our concerns or problems. We become cheerful givers. And then he says, all they want you to do is work. Hey, I want you to sign up for extravaganza. I really do. Because we can't do this by ourselves. But you need to understand, you're investing your time, your effort, your energy into boys and girls and their families who may never have another opportunity to hear the love of Jesus Christ and their lives be changed. Oh, come on. That's not work. That's service to the king. See, Charles Colson understood that. He understood that when I give my life to the least, the last, and the lost, I'm giving my life to something that's bigger than myself. You know why people walk out the doors of the church? Because they get tired of the mumbo-jumbo, the religious games and jargon, and they see nothing happening. Oh, I'm so glad that almost every Sunday in this place, someone comes to Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that they're being discipled on Wednesday night with Doug Apple's class. I'm so glad there's places for you to plug in and serve and get to know God and develop fellowship and relationships. Oh, someone hear me. It's not about religious games. It's about you understanding and me understanding reasonable service. Reasonable service. Reasonable service. I want those two words to absolutely drive into your being. My relative said to me, well, it's, it's not about Jesus anymore. I got news for you. It's all about Jesus. It's just not about you. See, that was the bottom line in that conversation. It wasn't about him. Oh, folks, if you're looking for somebody to pat you on the back, to build your ego, to stroke you every time you come through the doors, you're in the wrong place. That has no part of reasonable service. Now, we are going to brag on you. You're going to hear you're doing a good job, but I am not going to do that so that you will somehow be obligated to step up and do something more. I'm going to do it because we give credit where credit is due. That's why Yvonne talked about kid power and the great job they did last night because it's worthy of praise. We need to understand that the disciples were called to service. They weren't called to some life of ease. They were called to reasonable service. They were called to leave the life that they knew and follow Jesus Christ. They were called to, I can't even believe I'm saying this or having to say this, but listen to me. They were called to feed 5,000 men plus their families from a few fishes and a few loaves. And not only were they to find the food, then they had to distribute that food. What were they doing? They were serving. See, the context and the aspect of serving in the church today has been lost because we fail to forget Paul commands us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service. Reasonable service. They were taught to go and serve the people. Even Christ himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Folks, it's all about investing in someone else. It's all about taking what God has deposited in you and depositing it into someone else. When we understand that's a reasonable service, then it's not a pain, it's not a drudgery, it's not a religious duty to share the gospel or to serve another fellow human being, but it becomes our joy to be able to share what God has done with us, with those around us, because it is our, say it with me, 
reasonable service. So we have to move from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from belief to behavior. You see, the Christian life is a life that is to be lived in front of the entire world. It's a life that's required dynamic energy flowing through us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I've heard it quoted so many times. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. It is a gift, lest any man should boast. I agree wholeheartedly. Your salvation comes directly as a gift from the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll never earn it. You'll never merit it. You'll never be good enough for it. Jesus loves you enough that He gave Himself for you. And through His grace and through His mercy, we are saved and forgiven. However, don't stop in verse 9 in Ephesians 2. Look at verse 10. Because verse 10 says it this way. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. This is going to blow your mind. This is going to mess up your theology. All you grace, 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 grace folks, you're going to struggle with this one. Because it doesn't make sense in your very limited, narrow theology. You never read this verse. You read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you stop there. Did you ever think it might be good to read the verses in front and the verses after? It might be enlightening. It might change the way you think and change the way you live. We are created in Christ Jesus. Now, when are we created in Christ Jesus? When we're born again. When we come to the cross. When Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is activated in our lives, we are created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Oh, and that purpose isn't to walk around with this pious attitude, look at who I am and what I can do and how I can live because I've found grace. No, the purpose is for good works. If you look at the Greek, the Greek work is ergon, and it literally means activity. It means duty. It means labor. Wow. Man, it's so quiet in here. I'm going to find a back door to get out of here, Yvonne. It's unbelievable in this place this morning. Is this stuff that strange, that hard? No, it's true. We are created for good works, is what Paul says. And listen to the last phrase. What God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. See, before you were ever born again, let me back it up. Before you were ever born, God had an agenda for your life. And when you come to the cross and accept Jesus Christ, you're aligning yourself with the first step in that agenda. And as you begin to walk out your faith and begin to grow and disciple in Him, it's revealed more and more what God wants of you and expects from you. And we hear it in this verse that he's already prepared those things for you to do before the world even began. That's an amazing thing that he had you in mind. He had me in mind before we were ever here. So we need to understand Christianity is to be lived. But living, listen to me, this is the truth. You need to get it. Living requires dying. Living requires dying. Matthew chapter 25, the picture is that one of heaven. And Jesus is saying one day, we're going to stand before God. And he's going to say to those who are his sheep, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. And then they're going to say to him, but Lord, when did we do this to you? And he said, when you did it to the least of these. Folks, you hear what I'm saying? Every aspect of that passage and every aspect of that picture is you and I ministering life, doing something for the name of Jesus Christ. 
All right, let me get right down where we live. It's not enough to come to church. If that's the sum total of your relationship with God, you are sorely missing out. Let me even take it one step further. It's not even about coming to church. See, I believe there will come a day and a time in the church of Jesus Christ when we come to the point, and because of our culture, we will come to this point where our Sunday services are not about you and me praising and worshiping God. They're about you and me bringing our testimonies and telling what God has done in and through our lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're going to come to rejoice. We're going to come to celebrate. We're going to come bringing precious sheaves because we have sown in tears. We're going to reap in joy. See, I believe that's coming. I believe in 15 years, the church you see now won't even look like this. And I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about the way we do it. The experience that we look for. So if all you're doing is coming to church, listen, to make you feel better. To soothe your conscience. To convince yourself that I'm really not a bad person because I got up and I made it to church at 1030 on Sunday morning. Time out. Time out. I'm not going to say that. Just time out. Sometimes the oaky really tries to come out in me. You get up every morning and make it to work by 8 o'clock. So what's the big deal about getting to church at 1030 on a Sunday morning? Quit patting yourself on the back. Get your act together and live for him every day of your life. Hey, thank you. Thank you. That's what he's called our reasonable service. Come on, say it one more time. Reasonable service. James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. And I love James. It's a practical book. It's a how-to book. People are saying, well, preachers tell us what to do. They never tell us how, what, how to do it. Well, read the Bible. It's there. James 2, 18 through 20. He says these things. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, we are all caught up and we're not a religion of works. I get that. I understand that. Salvation is a free gift. Relationship is provided by Jesus Christ. We cannot earn it. But I'm telling you, once you're walking in relationship with him, something had better change in your life. I grew up on a farm and I knew every day my mom and daddy loved me. They put food on the table and I got to eat. They put clothes on my back and I got to wear them. They paid the utility bills, and I got to enjoy sometimes a warm house in the winter. Always a hot house in the summer. We didn't have air conditioning. Got to enjoy all those things. They were gifts from my parents. Listen, the gift we've received from God is the gift of salvation, the promise of everlasting life, understanding He'll never leave us and He'll never forsake us. He will give us our daily bread. He will meet our needs. He will provide for us. But folks, there is an exchange that has to be made. See, growing up on the farm, I had to make an exchange. I can't remember not working. I can't remember... Sitting in the house on a Saturday morning and watching cartoons, that just didn't happen in our lives. See, there was an exchange. I remember my earliest chore was to gather eggs out of the chicken house. And we had a rooster that was mean as could be, a junkyard dog. Called him old skinny neck because every time I turned around, he'd come and jump on me and rake me with his spurs. I hated that rooster. And you know, I loved the day I picked up a chunk of wood and hit him right in the head and we had him for dinner. It was a great day. 
think I was four years old when I killed that bird. I was thrilled. You see, there's an exchange that has to be made. You and I have a responsibility to accept what is our, say it with me, reasonable service. Reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. It's not too difficult. It's not too hard. God has already made it available. He did the hard part. Come on, who else has ever died for you? No one. Ever. Nobody loves you that much. I hate to tell you that. You just aren't that loved. Outside of Jesus Christ. Who died for you and gave his life so that you could be forgiven. And he's asking you to participate in your reasonable service. James goes on to say, you believe there's one God? You do well. I love this. Even the demons believe that. Come on, you think that's something? Even the devil believes that. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works, come on, say it with me, is dead. What's he saying? He's saying, you need to step up and do your reasonable service. You need to let the love of God flow through your life. You need to understand there's folks in the nursing home in the last chats ministry that need you to go and tell them Jesus loves them. There's kids all up and down Share Road in these neighborhoods that need to understand it doesn't matter how daddy treats you. If he left you or abandoned you, there is a father who will never leave you and never forsake you, who loves you with an everlasting love. And if you'll turn to him, he'll change your life. Oh, come on, somebody. It's your reasonable service. Reasonable service to move from doctrine to duty. To move from creed to conduct, to move from belief to behavior is your reasonable service. You see, we need to understand our belief should always affect our behavior. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, any Jesus followers in this room? Anybody wanting to follow him? Well, this is his word for you and me today. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Oh, you're not going to like this one. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What did I say? In order to live, you got to die. And that's your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. You can read it in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, what do I have to do to be saved? Obey the law. I've done that since I was just a boy. And then read verse 21. It says, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. The next verse said, he went away saddened because he was very rich. He had a lot of stuff. Oh, folks, we need to hear it. Our reasonable service is laying our life down, picking up our cross, dying that we can live. So that He has shown through us and in us and by us. Tom, would you and the worship team please come back? You see, this is the simple truth. We haven't learned the Word until we live the Word. We haven't learned the Word until we live the Word. So what is our response to what God has done for us through Jesus at the cross of Christ? Reasonable service. Reasonable service. If you read the first 11 chapters of Romans, you're going to see the word mercies is used again and again and again and again. 
Chapters 1 through 3, Paul shows us very clearly that we're sinners. We need a Savior. We can't save ourselves, and no one is exempt. Every one of us need the mercy of God displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ. Chapters 3 through 4, it reveals God's mercy to us through Jesus Christ. It's a great picture. Chapter 5 through the end of chapter 8, he tells us that it's God's mercy that frees us. Now listen to me. He uses the term law. I'm going to use the term religion. Frees us from religion. I'm not telling what you have to do or how you have to live. I'm just saying you need to offer your life as a reasonable service. Find ways to let His love shine in you and through you. Don't become so legalistic that you think, if I follow these ten things, it's all okay. I grew up with a guy in western Oklahoma. He was a little older, actually. And he was, it was an oil man. He was convinced that as long as he sent his tithe check to the church every week, he and God were square. I got news for you. You can't buy him. You can't impress him. You can't buy your works, convince him how wonderful you are. That doesn't work. The only thing that impresses God is when you and I offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Reasonable service. Romans 9 through Romans 11 talks about God's love is unconditional. I love that because none of us would qualify if it wasn't. I love that because you and I mess up and make mistakes, but because He loves us unconditionally, He always forgives when we ask. His love is unconditional. And then the last part of Romans chapter 11 tells us that God's mercy, God's love is beyond our comprehension and nothing can separate us from that. The best motivation I can give you to live a godly life is to remember. Remember where you came from. Remember who you were before you encountered Christ. Remember what God has done for you and in you and through you and how He wants to minister in your life again yet today. Remember who you are right now because you came to the cross. We are children of the Most High God. I'm a son of the King. I am blood bought. I have a destiny in heaven. Oh, come on, folks. I know I'm talking about this a lot, but we need to understand Christianity is more than just today. It's eternity. Matter of fact, that's really the game changer. When we understand through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, my eternity is transformed. I'm no longer hell-bound. I am on my way to heaven. And that should be good news to you and me. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember where we're at. We're in the kingdom of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm going to rule and reign with Him. I have all power and all authority that flows from the throne into my life because I'm in the kingdom of God. And then we need to remember what we have. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the Spirit of God residing and dwelling in us. We have every promise of Jesus and God the Father activated in and over our lives. There is no devil that confuses us or confound us. There is no power, no weapon formed against us that will ever prosper. Oh, somebody hear me. This is the heritage of those who are children of God. We need to get it deep in our spirit because it helps us to understand. Oh, presenting my body as a living sacrifice? No big deal. Just my reasonable service. In light of what He's already done for me and what He's promised to do for me, it's really no sweat. It's my reasonable service. People say Christianity is so hard. No, it's not. 
If that's your view, you're bound by religion. I want to loose you today to walk in relationship. Understand, it's not hard to live for God. It's easy. Now, does that mean you won't have trouble? Absolutely not. You will, I guarantee you. There's a very real enemy who wants to destroy you, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on. Understand it. Get it in your spirit. The way of the transgressor is hard, is what the Bible tells me. But life in Jesus Christ, oh, come on, it's full of grace. It's full of mercy. It flows in love. It's a place of fellowship with God the Father. It enables me to step outside of myself and be involved and invested in something that will last for all of eternity. Oh, it's just my reasonable service. Reasonable service. Paul said, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And those of us who have been set free, transformed by grace, should then live under grace and represent a God who acknowledges His power in us and through us every single day. You know, in the Old Testament, they were required to bring live sacrifices to be slaughtered for their sins. Oh, but here's the good news. In the New Testament, we bring a dead person. Dead in trespasses and sins. Dead because of the ways of the world. We bring something that's dead and through Jesus Christ, we walk out alive. Oh, praise God. My sacrifice isn't laying on some altar slain today. My sacrifice is alive in Him. That's why He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, for it is your reasonable service. So I close with this question. Stand your feet with me as I ask you. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? If not, we need some time with Him this morning. Come on, sing this great old hymn in the church out with us this morning. The old rugged cross. Sing it out, Tom. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 